0: This time, uh, turn in the scriptures to James 5, 13 through 18. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. We are taking a hiatus, as it were, from our exposition of a book we just finished, Ephesians, and hopefully we'll be going to another book shortly, or another. Passage actually is my intent on the kingdom of God, uh, Matthew 13. But this is where we're at this morning. So, hear God's holy word Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let me finish it. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. And with that, let us pray. Well, Father, bless the reading of your word to our understanding, that we might understand the scriptures, and particularly this passage. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. The effectual fervent prayer, Life of Elijah. Verse 16 speaks directly to that. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There are three things that describe Elijah and his prayer life. What are they? First, effectual prayer. The word effectual, another word for that is effective, meaning it gets an audience with God. According to James, Elijah prayed Twice. The first one, found in verse 17, was to stop the rain. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed another time, only this time it was to stop the rain after a period of about three and a half years. Verse 18, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So he prayed. And why? Because God told him, and because he was convinced that it was right. When God tells you to pray for those things that are according to his will. Because God was going to chastise his own. Because whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And Elijah was so committed to pray for this cause because it would be for the glory of God. Whose glory he was jealous for. Is this why you and I pray? as our Lord would put it, or as, as, as our Lord did it, not my will, but thy will be done. And that was in relationship to his decision to leave the Garden of Gethsemane and to go forward to Calvary. Also, Elijah's prayer life was characterized by fervent prayer, effectual and also fervent prayer. Elijah had a purpose, And that was God's. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. That is very important. Because when you have God's purpose, when you have God's calling to fulfill his will, you can pour yourself into that. You can pour your heart out to God in prayer and know you will be heard. It was not just to stop the rain and start the rain over just to show, ah, you know, this man can do miracles that no man can do. It was actually a prayer of salvation to save his people from their sins. And thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. In second Chronicles seven, thirteen through fourteen, we turn to it. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse thirteen and fourteen. Solomon is told by the Lord, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, the Lord was not about punishing the people by causing this drought and the ensuing famine from it. He was after their souls. In the Greek word, when it says in our passage uh, how he prayed earnestly, in the Greek, it is an intensive form of a verb that denotes earnestness. In other words, he prayed And he really prayed. Or he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. Just like that incessant salesman that will just not give up. Making that sale at your door. And will do everything in order to get it. And so he prevailed with God. And his prayer availed much, it says. Is that how our prayer is like? And then thirdly. What characterized the prayer life of Elijah? He was a righteous man. As a sinner, Elijah needed Christ. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. The passions that are spoken about here are sinful passions. They are those passions that are misdirected and are not God-directed, but self-directed, as it were. He was a true son of Abraham. This is very important. Who is the fa- called the father of believers? Remember the blessing given to the, by the Lord to Abraham? I'll make you and your family a blessing to all the families on the face of this earth. One day, he said to him in, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Look at Genesis 15, 4 through 6. I want to establish a very important point here. And that is that Abraham, who is called the father of all the, the Jews as well, national Israel also, Uh, was especially the spiritual father of all believers in this passage 4 through 6 of Genesis 15 and behold the word of the Lord came unto him Abraham saying this shall not be thine error but he that shall come forth out of thine own bow shall be thine error and that means of course Isaac and he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell or count the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. This is a further development in God's revelation, his progressive revelation to his servant, whom he has adopted from the darkness of the Ur of the Chaldees. And notice what it is said of This, Abraham, and he believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it, his believing in him, the Lord, to him for righteousness. This is very, very significant. Because this is the way that any sinner will be saved. and Without this, no sinner will be in the kingdom of God. In other words, what's called in the New Testament, imputed righteousness. If you turn to Romans 4, 20 through 25. Romans 4, 20 to 25. It makes that explicit. Romans 4, 20 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. He staggered, that is, Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Is this your faith and mine? If it isn't, it needs to be. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Did you see that? you see that? That's the same wordage as in the book of Genesis. In other words, those like Abraham and, of course, Elijah, who is the top, who is the subject of our discussion, and those since the cross, because that was before the cross, those since the coming and finished work of Christ are saved the same way, through the accounted righteousness of God, and that righteousness is not our own; it's an alien righteousness. It is from heaven. It is the righteousness that God gives as a free gift, and it is the righteousness which is in Christ. And it's the only thing that will stand you in good stead before a thrice holy God. And it will be the the, the very basis by which God is going to say, Come in, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Because that is why he came. For God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him." 2 Corinthians 5:21. End of discussion. But let me read on. I'm not done. Uh, it goes on. Now it was not written for His sake alone, meaning Abraham's, that it was imputed to him, but to us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification you want to know how to be justified though you're a guilty criminal hell bound sinner it is this way and this way alone and this is how Abraham got into the kingdom of God and this is how we get into the kingdom of God and there is no other route all the others are cut off but this because Jesus said I am the way Truth and life And no man cometh unto the Father, but by me. And so it's not just for the Jews, but for all believers everywhere, because the book of Romans is to the whole world, Rome was the apex of civilization back then. It was essentially the cosmos of that day, the world the Roman Empire was. Elijah was justified by faith in Christ. As Abraham was And he evidenced that by this He walked with God In our passage In, in uh, James chapter 5 If you turn back to it You will notice Where James Is very explicit With calling, By calling him A righteous man In verse 16 Who else could that be? The context Meaning what follows all points to that being Elijah. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, etc., etc. When you are serious with God, as Elijah was, God will be serious with you. That's all there is to it. That's as simple as it is. Put in the Old Testament terms. When. The prophet Samuel. Spoke to Eli. He says. He that honors God. Him will God honor. But he that despises him. God will lightly esteem. Black and white. It's like the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. It says in 1 Kings 17, 1, 1 Kings 17, 1, which is actually the context in the Old Testament for what James had to say. James was looking at this when he wrote this, if I can put it that way. And So we're, we're looking it up too because we're serious about the word of God, right? So in... 1 Kings seventeen one, It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, who is the king of the northern tribe of, of Israel, northern kingdom, I should say, of Israel, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Is that what he said? My word? Yes. Not God's word? No. My word. And then it goes on. And the word of the Lord came unto him. <laughs> he was being coached. He was being counseled. He was being mentored. He was being discipled. At the very mouth of God. In verse 7. And the word of the Lord came unto him. Saying. Arias get thee to Zarephath. Which belongeth to Z- Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So God took care of his servant. Because you probably wondering, well, how did he get along if there was a famine? <laughs> he wasn't exactly a rich man, nor did he have any connections. In fact, he was cut off from all connections, including from the tribe of Levi, which is the tribe of the priest, which often is uh, the, the deacons of the church. And uh, so God took care of him. Like he always does. When you're serious with God. God is serious with you. Of course, we know that, that drought leads to things that we fear and dread. Of course, death. Doesn't he know that people may die? Of course. Why does he pray that? Again, he loves the glory of God more than anything. There's actually something more important than physical life, and that's eternal life. Look at uh, 1 Kings 16 30 and 31, just so that you see how bad off this, this nation was. It was really wretched, terrible. It says, 1 Kings 16.30 just a page over from where we were reading and Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him he was the worst and 31 and it came to pass as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took to wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal king of the Zidonians and went and served Baal and worshiped him. You need to be careful who you marry. You could have a heart for God and yet marry the wrong person. And I tell you, that can be the worst decision you, you you would make in your life, just as in the case of Ahab, who had some hope in him, but that was of course negated by an ungodly queen for a wife. And it says in verse 33, And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Can we put it in any more stark terms than that? He introduced idolatry into the land. The worship of Astaroth, who was like the female goddess equivalent of Venus for the, uh, the Romans to commit spiritual adultery against the Lord. And then the worship of Baal, who was a male god, equivalent to the sun god, to bring fertility to the land. Well, what about the only true and living God? What about what the Apostle Paul had to say about about the God that made the world and all things therein? The one who is Lord of heaven and earth, who dwells not in temples made with hands. Who is not worshiped with men's hands as if he needs our worship. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. What about him? What about him who made of one blood all nations of the earth to dwell upon the face of this earth? And that includes you and me. And have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of our habitation. Our life is, is, is just like a slot as it were and, in time. And once that we finish that we move on to glory, hopefully. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God is close. He's as close as you are willing to be close to him. He's as close as you're Prayer life is inclusive of Him. For as much as we are the, the offspring of God, he is quoting uh, a heathen, we ought not to think that God is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's hands. But then he says this there's hope. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. You know, God is such a forgiving God that he would wink at our sins, as it were. In other words, he can not notice them. Not notice them, but, but keep in mind that, that he just doesn't turn us back on sin and act as if he doesn't see it happening. Of course, he does. Of course, there are consequences to our ways, our ungodly ways. Of course, we pay a price to be in the kingdom of God. Be holy as I am holy. That doesn't mean to say that. It's by our performance that we are kept in the kingdom of God. It's all of grace. But it's God's grace that will work in your heart. To want to hate that sin. To be of a broken and contrite heart. As, as uh, one uh, David expressed. As the king of, of, of covenant Israel. Because He knew that such a spirit God will not despise and he wasn't of that spirit at the time well until that time in his denial of his sin it was one of the darkest times in the history of Israel but there's hope even as I began to express what that hope was Uh, in the words of the apostle Paul sorry about that times of this ignorance God winked at that now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised them from the dead so by that same one that God sent to save his people he will judge the world and only if you're in Christ will the angel of death pass over you, and the angel of life will snatch you up and take you into the bosom of our Lord. It was one of the darkest times as I started to say in the history of, of Israel. The nation stopped listening to God's word, just like our nation today is not listening to God's word. I know it because I go out there to try to uh, feel the pulse, you know, like, or like the Indians, they, they, they put their ear to the ground. We, we, we want to see if there's, there's a pulse left that America has a pulse, that America is still breathing, living, and hasn't deceased. Like John the Baptizer later on, when Christ came, Elijah would be a lone voice in his time, in the wilderness of his day. Elijah felt very far outnumbered. In fact, so outnumbered, he started have a pity party. You know how to how, have how, how one of those? It's very easy. <laughs> we do it naturally. That's part of his passions, by the way. One of those passions, he was of like passions as we are. He was easily given over to discouragement. So much so that he would lament before the presence of God, God, oh, nobody else but me wants to worship you. And then and the Lord would say, My son, I have 7,000 that won't bow me to Baal, by the way. Wake up! Smell the roses. I'm God, and there is none else. And in his contest, I'm not Carmel. He was outnumbered. I mean, yeah, this was part of it. 850 to one. 850 false prophets of Baal. 450, actually, of them, and then another 400 of uh, prophets of the Groves, which probably were asterisks, okay? So total, 851 to 1. Feeling outnumbered, right? But no matter, there is something far more important than our glory, and that is God's. And there's something far greater than physical life, and that's spiritual life and eternal life. For what shall it prophet of man? To gain the whole world, but lose his own soul. It's hard to live on the run from the powers of being like he did from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and especially Queen Jezebel. Oh, wow, she was notorious. And that was, again, uh, his being described as being one, given over to sinful passions. And he would hide in caves with his disciples or alone, and dens in the earth, God was still for him. And if God be for you, who can be against you? The word promises. The one who made the world has got the whole world in his hands, just like that psalm, right? He's got you and me, brother, and you and me, sister. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so why? Why, Lord, are the godly included in the suffering of an ungodly world? Well, first of all, let me say this. It's only for a time. It's only for a season but also keep in mind this that maybe there's some things that you need to work out some kinks in your armor as it were in your spiritual armor that you need to iron out in your life because we are called because he as our heavenly father is doing this for our profit. he's not just thinking of his own glory he's thinking of our good how that we might be partakers of his holiness how eventually, this will lead to our yielding in our lives the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised thereby. In Heidelberg Catechism, question 28 in our beloved Catechism, God is teaching us to be patient in bad times, thankful in good times and trust in God at all times, and especially for the future. For we know that nothing will separate us from his steadfast love, since all creatures, and that includes ungodly rulers and judges and politicians and the like, and fellow citizens, are so in his hands that without his will, they cannot so much as move an inch against you his church. So we have evil rulers. So what? Right? Because Proverbs 21.1 says what? Proverbs 21.1 Hear the word of the Lord. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water he turneth it Whithersoever, he will. Remember and don't forget. Are you serious with God in your prayer closet and in your daily walk with Christ? And you're being also a testimony and a witness to a lost and dying world that is all around us that would have anything to have this living water the pearl of great price let me share with you a, a testimony of a, a brother in christ who was used mildly in opening modern missions uh, in, the, in, the, in the modern church he was the one he broke he was the one that broke ground william carey william carey was once reproached for spending so much time in prayer that he neglected his business he had a job a tent making job as we would call it he replied that supplication, thanksgiving, and intercession were much more important in his life than laying up treasures on earth. He said, Prayer is my real business. Cobbling shoes is a sideline. <laughs> it just helps me pay expenses. Unquote. The Lord honored Carrie's vigorous faith, for he became a renowned missionary and was mightily used by God in India. Burma and the East Indies. Wow. I just say, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. And show me the way. Show me the way. So I hope this does not discourage you from praying, from praying and from prayer, from having a prayer life. How about that? From having a prayer life. You know how we talk about get a life, you know, by people who are not socially adept. <laughs> How about a prayer life? How about being with God or adept in your prayer life with God? I hope this instead encourages you to pray for the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, help us, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought, we do not even know what to pray for. We think we do oftentimes, and yet we don't. And so help us, oh God, in every count. Help us because we are in need, and our need is desperate. And you tell us, Lord, to come now boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And yet, Lord, we need your help that we might do that very thing. To that end we pray, humbly pray.